Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adult Child of Dysfunction. Today we have with us Shelly Edwards-Jorgeson. Shelly attended Brigham University, Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, where she was the first female to graduate with a degree in manufacturing engineering. After graduation, she moved back to her home state of Michigan and landed her dream job as a manufacturing engineer to start off her 20 plus year career for Ford Motor Company. A few years into her engineering career, she decided to go back to school to get her MBA. Shelly has now spent over 30 years serving within her church congregation and community, and she has always enjoyed serving others. She never set out to write a book. Surviving life was her goal. She offers Beautiful Ashes, the book she wrote, to those who have been victims of abuse, domestic violence, rape, tragic loss, or any flavor of life's overwhelming adversities. Those who have lost hope of whole. Hold of hope, sorry. Um, This is why she's here today. So welcome, Shelly. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Tammy. It's great to be here. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right into it. I know you said right before this, you don't like to sugarcoat it. You don't like to do anything. So (laughs) I'm just going to let you tell a little bit more about your story. And obviously, it's a story of hope and healing. And I see your book in the background, which is amazing. And yeah, just introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Yeah, well, I'm a lot of things, and I've uh, I, I've been uh, I've I've been to the depths, and I've been to the heights. So uh, it, it's all good, you know. It, it it all can it all is for our good ultimately. But getting there is is a is a path that is arduous and long, but worth the journey. Um, so I, I grew up with um, uh, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde alcoholic father. And, and so my dad became very violent when he drank. And, um, and when I was 15, that um, culminated in the murder of my mother. So my dad um, murdered my mother and then burned our house down to try to cover up that crime. And, yeah. and then things got worse. <laughs> so... Worse uh, than for that. My, yes. <laughs> for my sister and I, uh, um, we had to live with him for two and a half years before his trial. And I mean, the story is it, there, there's a lot of very unbelievable things that happened um, just in that whole time period altogether. And for people that I, I know that are watching this live, they're, they're members of of our community. So they understand um, the dynamics of, of uh, growing up in a dysfunctional home, you know, the, the walking on eggshells, the, the learning to, to read the signs and the, the lack of safety, the, the, every, every single thing that goes along with it. And, um, you know, I, growing up in that environment for, for me, I was taught from the very beginning to, to, to be quiet. I, cause I, I grew up in a um, upper middle-class home. Uh, I mean, we, we, our, our last family vacation together was a month long trip to um, the, the UK. So, um, so we, we had means, you know, this kind of dysfunction does not discriminate uh, everybody experience, everybody can experience this. And, and so on the outside, we look like the white picket fence, this beautiful custom built home, um, that I physically helped build when I was three years old. I mean, I literally was carrying bricks to my parents. My dad designed and built this home that he ultimately 
set on fire and destroyed. And so um, because I was trained to not talk about abuse and to, you know, keep the, the secret and to portray one thing on the outside, but to be living something else, that set me up for um, other abuse. And um, so I was also a victim of molestation as a child. And the same year my mother was murdered, I was raped twice, two different times um, on that trip to England. Um, it happened. And, um, and then, uh, let's see, four months later in February, um, a trip to Mexico, uh, and that was the the same man that molested me as an eleven year old ended up raping me as a fifteen year old in Mexico. That both those events happened, and um, he was an acquaintance of my parents. Uh, my parents used to go to Mexico every year for a, a vacation, and when I was eleven years old, they um, that was our my sister and I's Christmas gift was our first plane flight and our first trip to Mexico. And, you know, I, I ended up being a victim victimized there. And, and then, um, so, you know, for a long time, I didn't understand even how I would allow myself to be put in that position. And, and a lot of people don't understand it either. Um, and, and so we can go into that if you want to, but but I, I guess I'm I'm giving you this this high level summary, and there's lots of details. I mean, there's there's so much that's that's happened. I mean, this is this is almost a almost a 400 page book, and I I cut out a lot, and um, because I think people will get the point that I've been through a lot. I've had to overcome a lot, and. And, and really the telling the details just kind of gives you the scope of, of where I started. And, but I've, I've managed to find a process to heal from all of this, but it, it wasn't overnight. And I had to have a complete mind shift change in my thought process and understanding of, of really the, even the purpose of life. And, um, and so I'm here to basically testify that, that overcoming all of that plus more, I mean, more and more, I mean, I, I'm telling you, there's so much more to this story than just the, those highlights. I mean, I was put on the stand as the star witness for the prosecution to, um, to, uh, prove first degree murder as a 17 year old and I had to go home with my father. After Plus, you, I, uh, after you yes, testified it, against him. Yes. And I, and I only found out two days before I had to testify that I was even testifying for the prosecution. I had to come out of my denial of two and a half years of wanting to believe his um, story um, to, to two days before I, I, I had, um, so I was living out my teenage years. Like I was a sophomore in high school when this happened. And so literally on the 11, I'm, I'm, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit and you mentioned I worked for Ford. Well, my dad worked for Ford too. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and so, um, I, I literally on the 11 o'clock news, watched my house on fire on on all the major networks when i arrived i was at the i was at basketball practice when this event when this happened i was the last one home um there was an ensuing event that i i knew um was at risk um of of evolving into this and um i lived with the guilt of of leaving my mother because I was told so many times that, and so is my sister, is one of these times you aren't going to be here and he's going to kill me. And then that's what happened. So my sister and I have lived with this guilt for, for forever. 
and 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 for her it's even it's even worse because the ensuing event was about something that happened with her mm. and um and it's just you know everything compounds on itself but you know i i lived out my life reading about it in the newspaper as a teenager so by the time i i'm you know two two years almost two years since my mom died and I'm reading about my life in the newspaper. I'm just preventing my dad from killing my sister at this point. My sister basically um, moves out and cause she's two years older than me. And I moved to California with my friends. So I, 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 I made a hard decision as a teenager to move across the country, leave all my friends and everything I knew just to um, preserve myself. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you, I, I can't even imagine staying in the house regardless. I mean, with the abuse. So when did the abuse start towards you? The physical? Well, well, here's the thing is I was my dad's favorite. And, and so the dynamic in our house was my sister was, was, is uh, two years older than me growing up as a, as a child, uh, Lisa would, when, when these fights, these violent fights would ensue, Lisa, when I was really young, she would send me to my room mm -hmm. and she would handle it herself. And so she became the, the number one advocate for my mother and, you know, pulling my dad off of her. Well, then, then it evolved to, um, both of us physically intervening in fights so, so, um, one of the things that I was asked on the stand was, um, you know, when's the first time you remember, um, your dad threatening to kill you and burn the house down. <laughs> and I didn't even, I'll come back to, I'll come back to, I'll come back to that, but that I was six years old. Um, and, and we fled the house and, um, and then, you know, we drove around and here I am thinking we were leaving. And, you know, now it's like four in the morning or the middle of the night. I have no idea what time it was, but we were gone for hours. And, you know, uh, Lisa's getting climbing in through the window to unlock the door because my dad's now passed out. And, you know, we're returning to our house that's, you know, never safe. And but, you know, seemingly is so it's it's just you know that convoluted thing and um so we got and, and here's the here's the other thing that people don't understand as a child you <laughs> this is normal this is your reality and you you don't know that this is in everybody's reality and and so I, I, I'm, I'm 53. So my, my mom was killed in 1985. I was 15. When, when I was about, I want to say 10 years old, maybe a little bit older. I can't remember exactly the age. I remember my sister and I, we would be breaking up the fights and my mom started saying to us, <clears throat> well, we could leave. I could get a divorce and we could leave. What did my sister and I do? No, mom, no, 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 no. We'll protect you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and that's when she would say, well, one of these days you're not going to be here and he's going to kill me. And that's how that conversation started. But back then, literally, we ha I had one friend that had divorced parents. One. And, and, and so... Um, and, and mind you, this abuse started in my parents' relationship at the very beginning mm -hmm. and they were married one month shy of 25 years. So they were married eight years before my sister was born and 10 years before I was born. So there was plenty of opportunity for my mother to get out. Right. And, and my mother had a college education, which was an odd thing. And it was a business degree, which was an odd thing for a woman born in the 30s. So, um, and my grandparents were 
were well off. So uh, her parents, not my dad's, but hers. And, and, and so, um, so anyway, uh, that's the psyche that's behind there. I mean, we literally were begging my mom not to get a divorce after we just stopped my dad from killing her. And, and, and that, that's yeah. crazy. It's crazy for me to think about because my house was just the opposite. My mother was the abusive one. And my mother used to sit there and burn cigarettes on my father in front of us, trying to get him to hit her because he, we knew back then it was the seventies and there would be mm -hmm. a, you know, it was harder for the father to get custody back then. Mm -hmm. So she would do everything she could to get him to hit her. And he would sit there and just, I'm, I can remember, I can smell his skin burning. And he's like, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. My kids are not going to court saying that I hit you and I lose custody. It's not happening. And, you know, we were begging him. We're like, hit her. <laughs> like, it was just the opposite. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, protect yourself. You know, we wanted to hit her like somebody hit her. And it was so it was just the opposite. But we begged him to get to work to divorce her. And but he was afraid he was going to lose custody. She was a child psychiatrist and he was a stockbroker. So same thing, like white picket fence, beautiful home. You would yeah. have never never known. You know, people think of alcoholism as the guy with no shoes and the brown paper bag and a wine bottle. And I'm like, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> no. You know, no, when it's my like, dad, no. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, when my dad went to prison, we had four houses and six cars and no mortgages or no debt. Wow. And then all that got stolen. So that's another, that's another part of the story. <laughs> wow. But, you know, so yeah, my, my grandparents gift to my parents when my sister was born was to pay off their first house. Wow. So, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't about money. No, it, it, it's not, it's not about those things. It's about, it's about generational trauma. Yeah. <laughs> And, it, and it's about, yes, it's about not knowing that you have the right to say, help me, you know, especially for kids, if there's people that are watching and their parents are fighting and, you know, like kids, I was the same way. We didn't talk, nobody told me we don't talk about it. We don't tell, nobody had to tell me that. I just knew, you know, I was like always waiting, like somebody like pick up on this or something, but it's unspoken. You know, a lot of times it's just, it's that family shame and you don't talk about that because- well, one, you think it's normal. I kind of knew yeah. it wasn't normal. I mean, just the things that happen. I'm like, this can't be normal. But I only had one really good friend and that we hung out with as families and both of her parents drunk, drank. So it was normal because she was my only model, like my only person I watched and our parents got drunk together. So yeah, yeah, it's but for the listeners out there, know that it's okay to go get help, that now we're in a different yeah. age. You know, you can pick up one of any 52 different hotlines and get help. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And well, and that's the other thing that I think is so important about talking about these things, domestic violence, alcoholism, um, any kind of abuse, sexual abuse, any, any kind of abuse, it, it thrives in the darkness. It thrives in the shadows. And when you bring it into the light, the cockroaches scatter. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what we have to do is bring it to the light. You know, um, if you're if you're a victim of these things, that shame isn't yours. Right. You you that that's a lie that that you're conditioned to believe about yourself that you have something to do with this or that you have some sort of shame to carry for that it's that's it's 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 not true right. and and you're you know you're not less than for any sort of reason and um no matter what happens and no matter what what you do is is um there there's there's purpose in all of all of life's lessons the the, the extremely difficult ones and uh, um teach us the most absolutely so absolutely so your book took nine years to write I, I read that somewhere <laughs> it was a it was a a long journey of writing I mean I can't even imagine the 
I can't even imagine the process. I mean, it's, I can't wait to read the book. Actually, I, I have it. I bought it. I'm just waiting. Oh, to, thanks. It's on a stack of a whole bunch of books to read. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I have this stack and I keep going to book signing events and I meet other authors and I'm like, oh my gosh, another book for the stack. And I read so slow because I'm a dyslexic engineer. So I write oh, wow. great in bullet points. <laughs> and um, so I actually reached out to uh, a friend um, to help me. And uh, so one of the reasons why it took so long is because it's, it's, it's co-authored really. Okay. And, um, and she had just had baby number five and then, and then they moved to Thailand for three years. Mm. And, and so then we got to a point in the book and, and Becky's like, okay, Shelly, I got the data. Now I need the, um, the emotions and the feelings. <laughs> and I'm like, crap. Yes, I know. I know I need to give you that. I know I need to give you that. And, and so I literally uh, went back to therapy and brought my laptop in <laughs> and my, and uh, because I had a great relationship with my therapist and, um, and it, we would basically type um, during my sessions, we'd process all of these events. And I literally would use different modalities, EMDR, NET, different modalities to um, to basically relive all these things again so that I could articulate what I was thinking and feeling. And because I knew, I, I, I knew from the beginning that is the value in what I'm talking about, not the data. The data right. is the data. Data is data, and, right. And, and, and so I, I always knew that, but it was, my coping mechanism became numbing. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was very hard for me to ar articulate those things. So that's, that's why the process was so long and tedious. And then the other part of it was I hadn't lived the ending that I needed to, to, to mm -hmm. end the book on. Um, and I, what I, what I didn't say, so let me kind of go back to part of the story. So, cause I've had miracles along the way too, and I was guided and asked, um, by my mother to write this mm. and, and, and so, um, so my mom never missed anything in my life. I was a three sport athlete. I might not look at it like it now. <laughs> and none of us do, believe me. Well, some of us do, not me. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so this was basketball season. It was the fall, so it was basketball season. So the first basketball game that I had after the funeral that I went back to school and and whatnot. Um, I, right before halftime, I was on a breakaway. I stole the ball. I was pretty, it, that was pretty common for me to do. I was pretty, pretty good at stealing the ball and having a breakaway. And, um, and so I'm on this breakaway and I'm getting ready to make my layup. And this sensation comes over me. I hear my mother's voice. I look in the stands and I see her and she's cheering for me. And she's saying, you know, she's cheering for me. I, I hear her and I see her and I feel her and I brick the shot. <laughs> and, and then as the ball's bouncing, I, again, this, this feeling of my mother's presence washes over me. And I hear her say to me, Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. And then that was it. And I, and then like the buzzer rings and we go in the locker room and I'm sitting there going, what just happened? Mm. And I'm stunned. And I'm thinking, uh, you're, you're insane. That didn't happen. And so, so then 
Um, at this point, we were staying at my uncle's. Then like a week or so later, my dad ends up renting the house that my best friend Linda lived in until two years prior that I basically spent every day of my childhood is that on the hill overlooking our house to rent because Linda's family had moved a couple streets over and the family that bought it from them had just got transferred on an overseas assignment. So now we're, I'm, we're living in Linda's house that I basically spent every day of my childhood. I'm looking out my bedroom window at my burned out house and, and to make matters worse, my dad starts sending me to the house to get canned goods. The first time he did this, it was dark. It's November in Michigan, so it's cold and snowy and creepy. And so I'm going over, unlocking this padlock on this boarded up, burned out house where my mother died to mm. go get freaking canned goods out of the basement. I there, I do not need to go to a haunted house. I've been oh, I've hey. been to worse. Yeah. So um so that's going on. I'm um I'm grappling with the fact that and I didn't tell this part of the story is that so this ensuing event was my sister um she the first two um uh, hours of the school day she had um she had an advanced office procedures class. Um, this is the eighties, right? So a little bit beyond typing, right? And so it was being taught at a different high school in the district. And so normally she would take a bus, though everyone in her class from our school would take the bus to the other and then they'd come back. Well, my grandmother was on a, a trip and so she had my grandmother's car. And so she drove to class and on the way back, two friends from class and her stopped at a party store. Well, that's what we call them in Michigan party stores, but they're, they're like convenience stores, like a, mm -hmm. a no name Seven Eleven, Right. Where they sell liquor and they shoplifted beer and got arrested. And so, well, they're all seniors. So my dad, because it was the eighties and he worked for Ford as a, as a CAD designer um, they ran the, the CAD stations 24-7 because they were so expensive to buy at the time. So he was on afternoon shift. So he was home and my mom was at work. And my dad's the one who had to pick my sister up from jail. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Lisa's, so I'm hearing this through the grapevine. She ends up back at school in the afternoon, but I didn't see her. And her basketball practice was right after school because she was on varsity. I I rode the bus home and had to go up after. So I arrive home and my dad should have been getting ready to walk out the door to go to work. Well, when I arrive home, he's in his bathrobe, drunk, drinking his Manhattans in the kitchen and starts talking to me and crying, which is an unknown emotion about and asking me where he went wrong as a parent. And I'm like, oh, don't ask me that question. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, I planned my escape away from him. And um, uh, so I knew there there was trouble on, yeah. on the home front. And so I called my mom to make basketball carpooling arrangements, which was again, normal. She asked if my dad had um, left for work and well, he was home making meatloaf, but he hadn't left for work. So I said, no, he hadn't left. Big mistake. So I, she asked to talk to him. I unfortunately did not listen from the master bedroom. Again, the eighties, we only had three phones in the house, the master bedroom, the kitchen in the basement. And so I hung up in the master after my dad picked up the handset in the kitchen. And then I came and I eavesdrop on his side of the conversation. Cause again, I knew there was trouble brewing. You you're aware of these things. Oh yeah. Very aware. <laughs> and, and so um, the, here's where it gets strange is my dad 
ends up telling my mom that my sister got arrested at school. And he, this is the weird part, is he is now getting mad that my mom is upset <laughs> about it because he felt that the threats that the police made were punishment enough. And he had promised my sister that he wouldn't say anything to my mother before the three of them could sit down and talk. Mm, but he got drunk and he opened his so mouth. So he got drunk and he opened his mouth. And now he's thinking, crap, she's going to say something, blah, blah, blah. So now he's mad that she's mad, which is, hello, what mother in the world's not going to be mad? Or upset, right. Yeah. And um, and so... And, and so this is where I knew there was trouble. And, and so I, my ride was late and, um, and next thing, you know, I hear the garage door open. So my mother had to hang up immediately and, and come home because uh -huh. her office was like at least 20 minutes drive. So, um, when I hear the garage door open, I'm like, oh crap, I need to create a distraction let me create a distraction so I can evaluate this situation. I don't have much time. My ride's going to be here. So I go downstairs. My mother's like, oh, she sees me. She's like, what are you doing here? If you, if I knew you were home, I would have, you know, taken you. Should have been like, okay, let's get in the car. But I didn't. I said, oh, mom, I have a geometry test tomorrow. Can you, can you help me with this problem? Because she was the one who helped me with math and homework. So we sit down at the kitchen table Five feet away, my dad's still nursing his Manhattan in his bathrobe at the built-in desk in the kitchen. And so I, I'm not paying attention to this geometry because I, I don't really give a crap about the geometry. I'm trying to read the situation here. And so none, there was nothing, no words really exchanged. And so I, and I evaluated, okay, my sister's got my grandmother's car. She'll be home. Because I'm late and the school is only like 15 minutes away. She should be home any minute. Nothing's happened yet. And then next thing you know, the ride's honking. I give my mom a hug and a kiss. And I say, um, I'll, I'll see you. I, I love you. I'll, I'll see you later. And I left. And next thing you know, I, and I get up to the school and there sits my sister and, um, and then next thing I know, the neighbor's there to pick us up. So I was living with the guilt of leaving. And, and so I'm having reoccurring nightmares where I'm literally pounding on the sliding glass door wall, watching my dad kill my mother. And so, so this is all going on while I'm being sent to the house and all this. So now it's Christmas and um, I had that one experience at the basketball game. Now I'm at like the, the biggest mall in the area, Christmas shopping, which is horrendous. And um, and I have another experience with Baker shoes. <laughs> My mom loves shoes and handbags. And I'm walking past Baker's and I look by, I swore I saw her. I'm like, no, nah. I hurry around the bench, go in there. There's there's not a soul in the store. And I'm thinking, okay, you're just crazy. And I'm, I walk out because the workers were in the back as I'm walking out again, that sensation washes over me. Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. Same message. And then Disney goosebumps. I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think you should discount it. Like, I don't think you should think you're crazy. I don't think even back then, I mean, it is, it just is. I mean, yeah. Many different people that would say, oh, yeah, it happened. No big deal. You know what I mean? Well, I don't I don't think it's crazy now. But back yeah. then I did, because uh, here's the last here's the third one. So now, like now, it, a, a few weeks after the whole Christmas thing, I'm laying in my bed and I'm struggling with this. I'm having these reoccurring nightmares and I'm not sleeping. I'm miserable, miserable. And um. I had blown my back out in December, which screwed me up for my athletics, which was my only outlet. And um, uh, I was literally flat on my back bed bedridden for a month. 
And, um, and, and so now I'm laying in my bed and I'm on my left side with my back turned towards the door and my room starts getting light. And I thought, oh, Lisa just opened the, the, the door and the hall light. No, no, no. I roll over and here's my mother in this light filling the room. And again, the feeling I'm seeing her and she's saying, and all she says is, Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. And then she's gone, the light's gone. And that was it. And, you know, she's telling me this before I'm raped for the second time, before I experience the next 12 years of terrible. Right. <laughs> and here you are, 50, what'd you say, 53? Yeah. And everything's okay. So And everything's okay. And it, so. and it was before that, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's divine intervention. That's the only explanation. And maybe that's what you needed to get you through, to get you thinking. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. Everything is going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure your mother was showing up in your sleep and showing she, she was probably showing up way more and being there with you, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. But yeah. So what a tr talk about trials, right? Yeah. I mean, so you went to therapy. What else did you use? Any other besides therapy? Did you use anything else to get you kind of to the other side of happiness? Well, yeah, I mean, here, here's the, and, and here's the value, right? So now I, I, I gave you the background and, and here's the value is, so as a freshman in college, I finally started seeing a therapist and I did talk therapy on and off for 15 years um, as, as I could afford it. You know, here I am an orphan who was robbed and homeless at one point, but, but um, anyway, um, now I'm in my uh, mid thirties. I just got my master's degree. I own my own home. Um, on paper, everything looks great. Um, nothing, you know. I'm 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 working as a manager in the auto industry with you know a major company making great money and a great had a great career path and. Um, I just graduated summa cum laude, but I'm praying to die every day. And, and so, um, and nobody knew it because I still was putting on the, the front. Put on the mask. Yep. And, and so, um, and I had, I had talked on it, like I said, on and off for 15 years. And finally I decided, and I hadn't gone to therapy at this point for maybe a couple of years at this point. And so then I'm like, well, um, one of my, uh, my, my best friend's family basically has adopted me. I I've been bl overly blessed with, with things, with friends in my life. And so, um, one of my ad adopted sisters was going through like some marital issues and, um, she started seeing this counselor and she's like, Oh, she did this new, she did this technique on me. Um, it's called NET and it's, it's, it's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And so I started seeing this therapist and she had in her toolkit, EMDR, NET, um, cranial sacral therapy, neurofeedback, and, uh, and several other more holistic, and I'm going to call them outside the box, mm -hmm. um, treatments. And, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to say right now, there is no one size fits all when it comes to healing and therapy modalities to overcome trauma. Nope. There, right. You have to keep seeking out the things that work for you. And for me, even, and, and I'm talking, this was like 2005. So right now people know about EMDR. In 2005, it wasn't that mainstream right. at all. Or, or, and NET still isn't. And, um, 
I heard of uh, neuro linguistic programming even before that. And I tried it a little bit, but I, I, I don't think it was the right timing for me. Uh And, um, and so I was too numb for EMDR and, um, it, you know, it wasn't working at the beginning. And so I was, I did a lot of NET, NET, I say, I say, saved my life. Tell the listeners what NET is for people that don't know. Because there are yeah, people NET, out there that are listening going, I have no idea what these acronyms are. Yeah. So NET is neuroemotional technique and it uses muscle testing to basically data mine because your body stores everything. Mm-hmm. Your, 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 your body and spirit are, uh, your, I, I basically say it's your, you're talking to your spirit. You're using your body to connect with your spirit. Your spirit knows everything, remembers everything, whether you're going to call that your subconscious, whether you're going to call it your spirit. Right. Part of you, of who you are, which we're spiritual beings having a mortal existence and our experience and, and it's stored there. There's nothing that you don't remember. It's just a matter of recall yep. and into the conscious mind. And so what um, NET does is it uses the um, acupuncture meridians to um, allow your body to speak and answer questions for you. It's like your own personal lie detector t- test for yourself. And, and what I loved about it is that I did not have to know how to articulate my my thoughts or feelings about something in order to process it. And um, and I also didn't have to specifically remember because there's so many things that you don't specifically remember in your conscious mind that actually happened. And so the first the first and, and you. And, and another thing, like I, um, the first thing I, I worked on was the false belief that I wasn't lovable. And so, so with NET, you ask, you ask your body questions like, um, say I am lovable and, and with the muscle testing, um, your body either says it's congruent with that statement or it's not congruent with that statement. And if it's not congruent with that statement, then you have to find out why, when did you plant that seed? And you might've replanted it 500 times because um, for me, I planted it before birth, which I know sounds again, sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, and, and so then when you, when you plant this false belief, you, um, consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously look for ways to justify that false belief through every event of your life. So, so on some level, you know, it's not true. But then you're then X happens and you're saying, oh, see self. Yeah, that really was true. Okay, you planted it again, you watered it, you fertilized it, you know, now it's growing a little bigger. And then you keep doing that. Yep. So absolutely. absolutely. And I say that too. It's it's like that's when you know it when it's from the subconscious to the conscious, because you can say all day long, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. But then when you have to make a split decision or have to act and do something, immediately it comes from your subconscious. So I always give people a, a good test. Like if you say, you know, I'm having ice cream for lunch. What is that? Or I'm having ice cream for dinner, whatever. What does that make you feel? You don't feel anything. You feel a little giddy, a little happy. But if you say, I am worthy of all good things, do you get a pit in your stomach? And it's the same kind of thing. Like your body goes, oh, don't believe that. And you're going to tense, you're going to move, you're going to do something. And that's kind of like I always say, that's a good test to see if you've even gotten over a limiting belief. Because literally, if you say it to yourself, your your body is storing that feeling somewhere, and that's a very good example and a very good modality to to use it for people to explore. 
I do, you know, I could, I could literally talk to you all day. I don't want to cut people off. I'm sitting here trying to like pull out like, okay, what's another one for another episode for us to get back <laughs> on. Um, but I love what you're saying. I love, I mean, your story, you, you're, you, you worked through it. You're happy. You're writing books, you know, do you have any other books or is that your one? That's the one. No, th This is the one. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing book clubs because, um, it once people read the book, they have questions. And, yeah, and you know what? My whole point is to help people and to help teach people what I learned so that maybe they can glean something from it. I'm not saying that my recipe is gonna is gonna be the end all be all for everybody's recipe of success in their healing journey. But I, I certainly have learned a, a load of valuable lessons. And I if I can shortcut or mitigate somebody's pain in any way by saying, Hey, have you tried this? Amen. Because it does, it does take a complete mind shift. Yep. And, um, because that's the other part of my journey. So I went to trauma therapy and I did all these modalities, but at that same time, I've always believed in God, uh, that God existed. And, and I've, I've always, I've always had faith. Um, but I didn't trust him and, um, I didn't trust him. And so therefore I didn't trust his plan for me. And, and so if you can't trust in God's plan for you, then, um, you can't see the wisdom in adversity. And I've learned through all of this and, and mind you, this is a lifetime of knowledge and it's not a light switch. It's a journey. It's Absolutely. a, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And it's actually an ultra marathon. Right. <laughs> and, um, but I look at all, I look at all adversity now as an opportunity. It's an opportunity yep. for growth. Absolutely. And so it's a matter of mindset and choice because I believe that, that we're all um, God's children and that we're all here to learn and grow and develop the same characteristics as each other, like we're all supposed to learn the characteristics of Christ. So by definition, how does a loving father in heaven, a God teach you humility, patience, endurance, empathy, long suffering by definition is suffering, um, compassion all the way up to charity. How do we learn these, these characteristics? How do we develop those things? You have to experience hard things. And, and so that is, that is what we're, we should be gleaning from adversity is, of course, it is natural to say, oh, why, why me? Why but me? If, you get if you get stuck in that, why me? I feel sorry for myself, do loop. That draws you into depression and that to the pit of despair. But when you stop and you say, okay, allow yourself the grace to say, why me? And like complain a little bit, but don't allow yourself to sit there and swirl the toilet bowl. Um, because that's what you'll do. Absolutely. I did it. Yep. I did it. Yep. And, and so, um, uh, you, at some point you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, okay, why me? Because I need to learn something. So let me focus on what and how, what am I supposed to be learning and how do I help? How do I use that to help myself and others? When you take it to helping others, that fundamentally is, is going to propel you forward because you're, when we're all focused on ourselves, then all you can see is yourself. Yep. And, 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 and life is a team sport. We're here to help each other and, um, and to grow and, and the other thing that I learned is um, God loves us all the same, every single one of us. So anybody who's a parent can relate to this. They love their children the same. And they're all different. Every single one of them is different. They're born with different strengths and weaknesses, different talents, different ways they cope. So there's no difference in, in, in our adversity. There's a difference in our experience, 
but we're all going to be pushed to our limit. It's just a matter of how we get there. So you can't compare yourself to so-and-so. Maybe so-and-so's breaking point is they don't know how to pick out wallpaper. And your breaking point is you're watching, you're getting molested. I mean, you, you, you're, you're thinking you're looking at an apple and an orange, but, but when it's relative to each individual, it's the same. You're, and we actually just talked about that on the last episode. So people can go back and listen <laughs> to the last one because we literally just were talking about comparing big T, little T trauma, and it doesn't matter. If it's your no. trauma, it's your trauma and it you own it. And yes, absolutely. Wow, this has been absolutely amazing. I don't want to, I don't, I want to keep going, but I also want to be respectful of everybody. Um, I usually ask people to give me some words of wisdom or some last pieces of advice, but I think that whole last chunk you just talked about was exactly what we're looking for. I think, I think it definitely was. So if people want to reach out to you, you want, you said you want to help, can they ask questions or what, how do they talk to you? Yeah, you can, you can go to my website, beautifulashesmemoir.com. Um, there, there's a contact thing. You can, um, email me. You can follow me on any social media. I, I try to post about three times a week, like an inspirational quote with like my life lesson around it. Now I've been really bad at doing that really for the last probably six months, just because I've been so busy with other, with life and other things, but I have four and a half years of posts out there. Perfect. And yeah. And so but if you if you follow me on um, on social media and you reach out to me via messenger or anything, if if something comes up, you know, if you have a book club and you want to read my book and then have me be a guest author, you know, just email me through my website and then we'll set up a time because I really, really, really am genuine, want to help people. And so. I don't want anybody to feel like they're walking alone. And, um, you know, we, we have these tools that I didn't have and, um, to be able to connect and to not feel so isolated in our, in our journey. Um, so, so those, those are the ways that you can, you can get in touch with me. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. If you have questions, um, just reach out. Sounds great. And I'll put all those links in the show notes and everything. So people have all that information. They don't have to, they're probably all screenshotting your book right now so they can grab it. <laughs> or, but, um, thank you so, so much for coming. I so appreciate it. This was a great conversation. And like I said, I'd love to have you back on because I'm sure we could pick any one of your situations and dive into healing just that one. So thank yeah. you. Well, thank you for having me, Tammy. Okay. I loved it. And for everybody else there out there listening, um, join in again and please stop by, check out our social media. And anytime you mention podcast, you can jump into my group coaching for two weeks free and just try it before you buy it. Thanks again. And another story of hope and healing. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.